Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. In mid-March, Cyclone Idai struck southern Africa, ravaging parts of Mozambique, Malawi, and Zimbabwe. Of these countries, Mozambique was the hardest hit. The storm struck the port city of Biera and surrounding areas, creating a massive inland floodplain. At the time, the World Meteorological Organization called it one of the worst weather-related disasters to ever strike the Southern Hemisphere. One month on, I wanted to get a sense of how the recovery efforts were progressing, so I called up Dorothy Sang of Oxfam, who is on the line with me today from the city of Biera in Mozambique. Dorothy Sang is Oxfam's humanitarian advocacy manager, and in this conversation, she describes the scale of the damage wrought by Cyclone Edai and how international relief agencies like Oxfam are responding to the crisis. One thing that struck me about this conversation is how over one month since the disaster, relief agencies are still finding communities that have been totally cut off from access to humanitarian relief. Uh, Before we start, I do want to ask again for you to email me stories or anecdotes about how listening to this podcast has impacted you in some way. Specifically, have you ever taken some action based on something that you heard on the show? Did it affect your work one way or another? Did it inspire you to send an email to a colleague or make a phone call or even buy a book or or donate to a cause? Uh, Please let me know. Uh, I'm really trying to collect these stories of impact from you, uh, listeners of this show. Just to show how, if at all, this podcast is making a real-world impact in some of the stories that we cover. All right, now here is my conversation with Dorothy Sang of Oxfam. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. When I first arrived, I arrived um, just about a month ago, um, so just after it had um, made landfall in Mozambique. And I mean, when I first got here, I was just struck by it was it was crazy. Um, you know, just even looking around the kind of city, you know, where seeing the destruction that had uh, had taken place buildings you know the concrete bits still standing but everything else off roofs glass smashed everywhere trees across the road i haven't actually um, seen something like that in um in uh, before so um and now we're we're a month on and you still can see that kind of um damage but i think what the startling thing is 
now that that access is opening up is that we're finding people who have just had no assistance whatsoever um, and have been having to live off what they can find um, and it's it's really heartbreaking because everyone's lost so much one of the places that I went to um, a few a couple of weeks ago was called Guara Guara mm-hmm. and, um, and and how far is that from the city of Biro where I'm reaching you so it's about a um, it's about a four-hour drive and so we had got there um, by road um, but before that we had sent an assessment team because the only way to get there had been by boat um, because it was still surrounded by floodwaters and the roads were impassable and so when I went there was the first time that road had actually been opened up and passable. And that Um, was like several weeks after the the cyclone? Yeah. Yeah, so that so people in this area had been getting some assistance because there had been airdrops, um, um, high energy biscuits, things that you were able to drop, um, which was you know it was a operational feat to to even be able to drop things to people um, because I mean yeah it, you you have to think about what you're dropping and how 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 people will access it when it's uh, surrounded by flood water. And so when I got there, I mean, for me, um, I've worked in uh, in conflict zones and um, it really, really struck me. It looked like a place that I'd been in South Sudan um, because all the all of the houses were just flattened. And so in this place, there's like um, about six transit centers. So five of which are for the, the community that are there. So barely anyone's house had um, had withstood what had happened. And then there was another um, place for people who'd been in another village lower, lower down that was just still completely flooded. And transit and so centers. Was- transit centers are, are sort of what we would refer to as like IDP encampments of some sort. Yes. Can camps, you describe, basically. yeah, can you describe sort of what, what the conditions are in these? Because one of the, you know, a lot of what I've, I've read about the reporting and, and from humanitarians on the ground like yourself is, you know, this was a massive internal displacement crisis and, and still is. Uh, and so many hundreds of thousands of people are living in these transit centers, as you call them. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a huge it's a huge displacement. Um we have, so, I mean, in Guaraguara, for example, and this is quite common in lots of the other places, is that people are sheltering in schools. Um, in this particular place, uh, the, the school is, uh, you know, has been smashed up, really. If there's no roof there. You have all of the um, tables and desks and chairs and people are sleeping on those or under those. Um, obviously, the humanitarian community are trying to distribute um, shelter kits and, and tents, but as I said, we're sort of only just reaching some people or being able to get that assistance to people. Um, so for, for weeks, many have been sleeping, you know, um, in in what looked like bombed out buildings um, or under tarpaulins or, you know, uh, under trees. And, you know, you're describing an area that's a four hour drive uh, mm. because the road is now passable from uh, the port city of Biera, which was the hardest hit, which is sort of the epicenter of the humanitarian response. I have to imagine that as you go farther out, um, as roads become less and less accessible and, and usable, the situation is sort of worse, sort of the farther from Biera you get. Is that like a fair description? Absolutely. And we have um, teams now in, in Zambasia. So Zambasia province is, um, is, it wasn't as 
badly affected as Safala, where um, where Beira is now, where I'm talking to you from. Um, but in yeah, in Zambezia, um, these are really really remote rural communities, and so we had a team there just yesterday um, who, after this assessment, um, uh, we had an assessment. Uh, last week where we discovered thousands of people who had not had any assistance whatsoever. They'd been surviving off coconuts and um, dried fish and whatever they could. And the sanitation situation there is awful from what I hear, like almost undoubtedly all of the water sources contaminated, um, all of the latrines uh, damaged. And so we have been working out how do we get things to them to actually get people there they had to go on motorbike um on canoe and so just yesterday we were taking these um what what Oxfam calls lifesaver cubes these are kind of light handheld um water pumps um so you can take the dirtiest of water um and pump it yourself and it and it comes out clean and safe to drink and so as a priority um we have been putting these um these lifesaver cubes on the back of motorbikes and then into canoes um and and that's that's a whole day it takes um to just get up to those communities and the reason that they haven't left many of them is because they are been living in chronic poverty so when the bridge collapsed that um connected them to the the other bit of the town um they couldn't get across or they didn't have the money to pay for a canoe or they don't have a canoe some were very scared um it sounded like it was a very well as you can imagine the cyclone was a very scary time for people and people didn't want to get on the boats they thought they might drown um so and that's just one story. Uh, that's one one area. I mean, I think that the the further we get into this, um, the more we're going to find communities like this. And and that's really a priority for Oxfam at the moment is to make sure that we are um, assisting people who are in those hard to reach areas who maybe we ha- haven't been able to get to yet. Can, can you sort of like make it real when you say hard to reach? Um, you uh, recently, I, I read, came back from a city, a village, pardon me, in uh, Zambezia. Could you describe like how, just how did you get there from, from Biera? So, so it, it wasn't actually me who went there, but mm-hmm. this, um, from what, from um, the team were telling me, um, they had to first went on a truck, um, uh, well, a, a car, a convoy up to um, up a kind of dirt road. But then that road becomes impassable by actual four wheel drive. Um, so then they ha- people had to get on um, on motorbikes. Um, and then after the motorbike trip, there is a quite considerable river um, through which they have to take a kind of a canoe across like a shuttle service across the across there then on the other side again it's walking or motorbike through up to up to these communities and, and essentially you're just trying to locate these communities in order to facilitate mm-hmm. the provision of humanitarian aid which i take it has to be by airdrop which is so logistically complicated and really expensive as well yeah yeah and i mean this this is is it really is a logistical feat and right right from the beginning um uh the international community really did mobilize the sort of air assets that were needed to support the government of mozambique to get um to get these food drops to people but now that we're a month on so quite a lot of those resources have been reined back understandably um but we are still having these issues to access those hard to reach areas and so we are having to you know to use different <laughs> different 
different methods and you know slower methods but prioritizing what we can get there thinking about the lightweight items like the lifesaver cube that really make a difference in these in these sorts of circumstances um but i would say that it's it's a real challenge um, and it's very expensive, as you say. And uh, you know, a month on, we're now looking at um, the response only being around 25% funded. Mm-hmm. And classically in these types of situations, it's at the beginning when you see the most um, money committed and, and, and then, you know, uh, the international attention tends to die down. So I have genuine concern about... Um, our ability, particularly for those hard to reach areas, for us to to be able to to provide assistance. Um, when funds are low, people will have to prioritise, um, and that might not be in the, being able to reach those areas. Also, it seems atypical about this response is just the fact that still a month on, you're still finding communities in need of mm-hmm. like immediate humanitarian response. I mean, I, I take it that where I'm reaching you and Biera, you know, they're like the recovery and the rebuilding is, is, is well underway. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the the fact that you know still a, a month after the fact you're still finding these communities that need like that immediate sort of humanitarian response is is what distinguishes this crisis from perhaps other natural disasters that that have um, that the international community has responded to before. Yeah, absolutely. And you know you're you're starting afresh in in these places when you're discovering discovering them, and particularly you know Oxfam's a um, a water and sanitation actor and and having these whole communities who all of the water sources have become contaminated there's no latrines it's 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 a big job um and it's a big job to be doing in lots of different places um and i think what really strikes me about this and um when i was in um in guaraguara just the other week um is it's is every everyone's lost everything they've lost their houses they've lost all their possessions they've lost loved ones um, and they've lost their jobs and they don't know what's going to happen in the future that's what I can see I was talking to this woman um, who had just traveled there and she told me how she'd been sitting on a roof for three three days um, surrounded by flood water just holding on to her two children um, and then was rescued by the local community in a canoe um, and you could tell she was really really shaken up by what had happened she what you know hadn't eaten she wasn't sure if anyone was ever going to get her um, but I could tell what she was really really worried about was what next she was um, her husband had died a few years ago so she was a single parent and she just said I've lost you know I've lost everything and I don't know I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family I don't know where I'm going to live um, and I just there are so many people in that situation and uh, yeah I, I mean it's just heartbreaking and people are people are still missing people don't know where their relatives are and it's just yeah it's a really really it's a really, really heartbreaking situation for people. Um, I, I'm wondering if you could sort of take me, take listeners sort of inside um, the response, the, the cluster system, as it's known. And for those who are unaware, you know, when a, a disaster like this strikes, various UN agencies and NGOs each adopt sort of discrete responsibilities. You said earlier that Oxfam is uh, contributes to the water and sanitation uh, aspects. Other uh, NGOs, you know, work on shelter, other work on like protection of, of women in vulnerable circumstances. Um, can you describe sort of 
how this cluster system, as it's known in UN lingo, is is working on the ground in in say Biera right now, uh, where where recovery efforts are happening, and elsewhere in Mozambique. Sure. I mean, to give you a picture, when we first arrived, everyone was working out of the international airport in Beira. So um, you had the cluster meetings and the cluster coordination all happening out of this airport. And it was, you know, really quite something to to be a part of. You know, you have um, right next to where the helicopters are taking off to go and do the food drops. You've got everyone um, sort of working in this big humanitarian hub. And, um, and it, you know, the, it, we really did mount a, an extraordinary response um, quite quickly in very, very challenging circumstances. And um, I can talk a bit about, you know, the, so the way that the WASH cluster has worked, I mean, the absolute And, and WASH, we should say WASH is like sorry, UN lingo water. for water and sanitation. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Um, and so the primary, um, I mean, and this is a huge area for this kind of a response where everything has been obliterated. Um, and it, what what we saw happen in the first week was, you know, outbreaks of cholera, which we know in this kind of situation, um, waterborne diseases like cholera can spread like wildfire when you have people living in unsanitary conditions on top of each other. There's no provision of water, um, open defecation. Um, So uh, the way that the cluster mobilized around that to work with the Ministry of Health in Mozambique to pull together um, water and sanitation experts like Oxfam and others um, to in the fight against cholera was quite extraordinary. Um, There was a mass cholera vaccination campaign. Um, We had Oxfam were training um, what they call activistas, which are community mobilizers to get the message out to communities about what they should do, distributing water purification and really trying to do that full complement um, to the fight against cholera along with the the, the WHO and the Ministry of Health um, uh, administering vaccines, so oral vaccination campaign. And um, we're still very concerned about cholera. I mean, for the vaccination campaign covered about 900,000 people, which is extraordinary. Um, We have seen the numbers going down, um, which is great. But for the sanitation issues that we're seeing across the board are really of concern. Um, And so it's definitely not something that I think we can... um, we can sigh um, a relief about just yet. Um, But I mean, that's just one aspect of how the cluster kind of brings different UN agencies, NGOs, the Ministry of Health and government, um, and really mobilizes as one um, to make an effective response against things like cholera. Um, And and finally, can you describe how um, the response is shifting from that immediate humanitarian relief in, in say, the the city of Biera to a more long-term rebuilding, reconstruction effort? What does that actually look like? Well, many people want to go home um, if if they can go home or they want to get out of the camps. And that's what we need to start focusing on is how do we start helping people rebuild their lives? Um, And so we need to start working towards looking at things like getting farmers back on their feet. Um, So the FAO and um, uh, uh, distributing, doing a mass distribution of seeds so that, you know, 715,000 hectares of of land uh, uh, of the maize harvest was washed away. Now that's, that, 
is an immediate food security concern, but it's also an issue for the winter harvest as well. So people need to get replanting. Um, and so we really need to to shift from that humanitarian to early recovery. However, having said that, we really are not near meeting the humanitarian needs that we have at the moment to be shifting into that early recovery stage. Um, and that's where we really need, um, we need more funding into the UN appeal and directly to organizations like Oxfam and their local partners um, who are on the ground in these hard to reach areas um, to make sure that we can address these immediate humanitarian needs right now. Can, can I can I stop there? Can you explain or, or describe like how that lack of funding uh, is is affecting you on a day to day basis and your work? Well, I mean, so Oxfam works as part of a consortium called Kasaka here in, in Mozambique. They were formed um, uh in 2009 as kind of three of the leading agencies so Oxfam Save the Children and Care um, to to go, to work together on humanitarian responses and now all of us um, in this consortium are looking at the moment to be about 30% funded for for what what our target was going to be and that means we will have to think about scaling back, scaling back the ambition of the amount of people we wanted to reach with those services. Also looking at the kind of package of assistance that we were looking to give. It has it has real, real life consequences in terms of what we will be able to deliver if the funding isn't met, if we can't secure that funding to plan for the next 12 months. Well, well so what would be like an ambitious package that you're planning to deliver uh, compared to what would be scaled back if funding levels don't increase? So, I mean, from Oxfam's point of view, we we would want to be looking at different ways in which to be um, util utilizing the response in terms of things like water surface treatment plants is something that we use in lots of other places. Um, now, whether whether those could be rolled out en masse or, you know, in other humanitarian contexts, we have gone into um, what's called sludge management, fecal sludge management. So looking at kind of ways in which to do um, to assist the government in 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 managing waste in in a in a, in a way um, that you know is is good for the environment um can can really contribute to better sanitation now these programs are often really quite ambitious and longer term if we don't have the funding to be able to to look into this and to be able to secure programs beyond the kind of six months 12 months period it's those kind of innovations and those kind of helping the community build back better um rather than um you know the kind of yeah it, being able to look at that longer term infrastructure that will ultimately help Mozambique in the future. It's those things that will suffer um, if the funding isn't made available. But but fundamentally, what it will mean is we will be able to reach less people with the basics. Um, and that's what re is really concerning. Uh, well, is there anything, any last message you, you want to uh, to tell people, send to people uh, about the situation, about your work or anything else that you might want to add before we, we stop? Um, just that I... I think that the scale of this is is really like nothing I've seen before. And I, I, it really concerns me that we are uh, 
a month in and I know that this is very much dropped off the kind of the international agenda um, and we the suffering here and the fact that we really haven't been able to really even reach um, the the amount of people that have been so badly affected here with the humanitarian assistance in this first month um, is is just really concerning and people have really really lost everything so i would i would implore people to not forget about uh, what's happened in cyclone i die and um and to to still keep thinking of them and and donate and um rally around and support them and because the government of mozambique is going to need a lot of support in the year to come uh well dorothy thank you so much for your time thank you <laughs> All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dorothy Sangin. Yeah, you know, one month after the cyclone, this story is fading fast from the headlines. And as, you know, Dorothy Sang said, as these stories fade, so do funding for these disasters. So uh, actually, I'll post a link to um, some reputable organizations like Oxfam to which you can donate to support relief for Cyclone EDI. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.